Welcome back to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish. Trish, how are you today? I'm good, Steve. How are you doing? I am fantastic. Just real quick, and I know we talk about this on our work break shows, I had the greatest experience I've ever had at a DMV office this morning in North Carolina. So there's been a lot of awful things that have happened with COVID and the pandemic. I mean, it's just so awful. If there's any one good thing to come out out of it, I think, was waiting in the DMV waiting room literally by myself. Not a single other person in there because it's all done by, it's all on schedules, it's on appointments. I had to wait six weeks to get an appointment, but still preferable to going to a crowded DMV office. So that was, that was my morning. Wow. You know what? When we talked on the work break yesterday and I told you that here in, in Waterloo, Illinois, the DMV has been outstanding and kind of said, maybe you'd have that experience. I'm glad you did. It was fantastic. It was we'll talk about it on the work break, but we, we will. Trish, I'm skipping all the other banter. I'll save the question for another time. This is going to be one of our favorite shows. I can tell already because it's on one of our favorite topics, which Fans of ours, fans of the happy hour show, know we have talked about our uh, experience at Gettysburg, the Gettysburg leadership experience that we did uh, with the conference board about 10 years ago now, something like that. I know you tweeted this morning, uh, recording this on a Thursday, you tweeted out this morning the link to the old show we did from Gettysburg that day, uh, which was a wild thing to listen to, back to some of that. But that was such an incredible experience that we thought we would bring back two folks who were really involved in that experience and uh, friends of the show who've both been on the show at separate times, but now together. uh, So let's welcome them right in. We have Dick Richardson, the co-founder and CEO of Experience to Lead. Dick, welcome back to the show. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Dick, maybe uh, rather than me read through the bio, give us, uh, give our listeners maybe 60 seconds refresher on, on, on you and what you're up to. So uh, I was at IBM for many years uh, in executive uh, education. And then now I'm doing just experiential. We run programs, everything from Waterloo and Normandy to Apollo to, and we have an agreement with the U.S. Olympic Committee to run programs out in Chula Vista in Colorado. So it's great places to go and into the virtual space. Yeah, it's, and there's such incredible experiences, and we've talked about them uh, many times on the show. We'll talk about that some more. So, Dick, welcome back. And we also have with us from the conference board, Rebecca Ray. She's the executive vice president of Human Capital. Was on the show just a month or so ago. Maybe we were talking about COVID and returning to work, but she has deep experience in, in the Gettysburg leadership experience as well. So we wanted her to be as part of this conversation too. Rebecca, how are you today? Hey, I'm I'm well, and 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 thank you, Steve and Tricia, for um, having me back, which I take as a good sign. Um, Great and, to have you. But and I'm thrilled to be here on this topic in particular. You know, I I am privileged to work at the conference board where I oversee human capital, and one of the the things I try to do is to offer the kinds of things that help the profession. But one of my personal joys is to partner with Dick Richardson and the team, um, because a lot of the experience to lead programs I've had the opportunity to attend. And I've been through Gettysburg in particular a few times and some of the other great programs that are done. And, um, you know, my dad was a military officer. And so I, I kind of grew up um, reading American history and learning from him a little bit. And, and, uh, and, and so for me, that was a very personal experience. And it yeah. was great. So I'm thrilled to talk about it today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to have you both here. My dad also was a military officer too. And so they you feel that connection, even though I didn't serve, but I have that little bit of a connection to some of this, some of this topics from, from him, although he never really talked about uh, his experiences all that much. That's maybe the story for another day. Trish, Gettysburg, 
I don't even know. I know where to begin, but I want you to tell me where to begin or where should we begin? I almost feel like it's indescribable. Um, but if, if I have to just put words to it, I feel like this is no lie. These, the single most, um, impactful leadership or training I have ever attended. And, and really not just, I would say not even just Gettysburg. We're obviously going to focus on Gettysburg, but the conference board, um, and I would say this, I say this all the time behind your backs so I can say it to your faces now. Um, I think it's just you are immersed in the experience. And I also did the Apollo leadership experience with um, with Dick as well. Um, Dick, I looked back, that was 2011. Here, yeah. I thought it was like five years ago. It was 2011. Yep. Maybe Trish, so, you know what I think we should do perhaps, because we've talked about this a lot, but not so much what it was really like. Dick or Rebecca, either or both, maybe just quickly for folks who haven't been through one of these experiences, whether Gettysburg or some of the other places, maybe give us just a little overview of what actually happens if you, uh, as a leader or as a leadership team, actually take the, 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 the Gettysburg leadership experience, experience. Like, what happens? So I'll go first, and then Rebecca can chime in, of course. Um, the idea is, is that you're looking at a, a someone else's business, and it's always easy to see the problems more clearly when it's someone else's problem. And with history, and something like the Battle of Gettysburg, what we have is a wonderful um, set of characters and leadership issues that they face. So the idea is you go to a place where there's something historical significance. You t look at the story of the leadership challenge that that leader had and what he or she did. And then you're able to say, was that a good thing? What principles can we draw out of that? And then how does that apply back in my business? So it's metaphorical learning as much as it is experiential, but being in the place where these things happen touches the heart as well as the mind. I was just going to say too, Dick, I think um, being in there with all the different leaders that we were looking at in the case of the Gettysburg experience, you find someone that you can relate to as, as a human, as a human leader, as, as opposed to just reading maybe what you would have studied about that in school or you know in a, a university course or something like that you actually find those people that you're like wow i understand where they're coming from which is you know i have to i have to say even though this is an audio podcast um i have a i'm using a mug right now to drink my coffee and this is a uh john buford mug because he's my hero at gettysburg uh, everyone loves chamberlain and i mean that's that's everyone's uh, dream guy but um chamberlain is, is actually the one i identify with so you there's villains and there's heroes, there's people that you love and there's people that you hate. And that makes the learning even more impactful. You know, I, I think that's right. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, I come from a military family, so I'm predisposed to be comfortable kind of thinking about it in those terms. But even for people who have no real exposure to that, these things are timeless. You know, this is the crucible in which people's leadership skills or lack thereof really were apparent. And these were life and death consequences. And in so many of the great programs that Dick and his team lead, you know, these are things where you're talking about sending people to the moon, or you're thinking about the Olympic gold is on the line, or, you know, in Gettysburg, the stakes were very high. But the thing I love about all these programs is that, you know, leadership at its core is, is really timeless. I mean, it still requires the many of the same qualities, you know, whether it's Gettysburg or today or getting through the COVID crisis or any, anything else that you pick, you still need leaders who can earn the respect of those they hope to lead to articulate 
you know, a vision of a better future, the reason we need to do this, what's the plan to get there, and to inspire enough confidence in the team uh, that you lead that you can actually execute against that plan. I mean, that never really changes. You know, if I could chime in on the timeliness of, of timeliness of this, um, the if you look at uh, one of the issues at Gettysburg is that uh, one of the senior uh, officers, John Reynolds, was killed early in the battle. Uh, and if you we one of the things we pull out is there's a beautiful conference board report that was done a few years ago on emergency succession planning. And so here you have this situation 150 years ago. And here you have this modern research, and you're able to put those two things together so that there's a learning to say, what's the present tell us about this situation, and what's the past tell us? And then from that, we can we can apply it to ourselves. Yeah, there's some uh, there's some fundamental kind of elements, you know, and I, I, just for purposes of uh, for the audience, I, I reread the Killer Angels book, which is like kind of the it's not a history book, really. It's a, it's a novel, but around a st historical novel, I guess we'd call it, right? So the events all are, are true. Some of the, you know, the interpretation of what people were saying to each other and what they were feeling and what they were thinking is, was up to the author, but it's, it's pretty widely recognized as a really, uh, I don't know, insightful kind of book. And, and one of the things you get from reading that book, as well as going to the experience, is how it seems like the, entire, the, this, this, the entirety of this depended on what Rebecca talked about. The, the leader's ability to inspire people to, to sort of follow along with them. And no, no better than in the book anyway, that is how they describe Lee, right? And how just the devotion of, of that army to him personally, it, it almost became a sense of they weren't really fighting about all the things we think they were fighting for. It seemed like in a way, at least according to the book, that they were fighting for that guy, that leader, right? They were so, and I just wonder, a, am I interpreting that right? And, and B, like, what does that sort of suggest to us? What can we take from that, uh, uh, you know, in our own lives and our own organizations? Yeah, you know, there's, a, there's an old line from the McKinsey report on uh, the war for talent, that people join companies and leave managers. Mm -hmm. And the point you're bringing up is there's a personal loyalty to good managers, and there's also a disdain uh, or a rejection of those people that display poor leadership. So, Lee is a great example of he had had a number of successful leadership roles and people recognized that and they wanted to be part of his organization and part of his team. It was a very personal thing. Yeah. I think so. I, I think also though that in the case of Lee, tell me if you see it this way also, their devotion to him and their respect for him made him infallible. And so when you combine that belief with uh, Lee's conversational style, which is to be sort of less direct, and people were sort of left to make their own interpretations of what that revered leader meant, that's where I think it's like, a, it's like an overabundance of a strength, right? So sometimes it can work against you. But I think that's part of what was in play there as well. But Dick's right. You know, the ability to inspire, you know, you couldn't get Joshua uh, Chamberlain to get his men to agree to fix a bayonet and to march into oncoming enemy fire if he hadn't already built the respect with those people long before they got to Little Round Top, right? So, so as if I recall correctly, I mean, there were some prisoners that were captured and the first thing he did was feed them, you know what I mean? He, right. he tried to, to meet these people where they were and to have them believe that he was going to be a decent leader. So... So I think there's, there's, 
you know, the moment that you need to, to have people's loyalty on display is not the moment you need it. You've got to work on it a long time before you need it. I'm glad that you mentioned that specific example too, Rebecca, because that was one just in sort of re-preparing myself to discuss this, that was one that stood out to me with Chamberlain was that when those prisoners arrived, you know, he was really told that if they didn't listen, he could just shoot them. And his approach was to treat them with kindness and respect, give them food. He offered to them if they were not on board with going with him, he was fine with that. He was not going to, to kill them. Um, I think that's absolutely in play. If I think back to really every professional position I've held in my career, there are definitely times where people have been in a leadership role and offered me sort of, um, you know, grace and forgiveness for things maybe that, that I had made mistakes upon. On. And, um, and then myself as a leader too, I think, you know, working in human resources, you know, I'll just give you an example. Um, a lot of times we have to let people go and we're the leader that's the person delivering that message. But yet if you're treating people with respect and kindness, they actually don't hold it against you personally. They actually wind up respecting you as that leader. So even if business decisions get hard, if handled in the right fashion, I think you're right. That loyalty stays. And I do think that's what, what we learned from Gettysburg, from Chamberlain, um, for sure. He built, that, he built that trust and that relationship long before he needed it. You know, I'd forgotten. I I remembered the little the round top story. What and I I I said I read the book all the way to the end, and I read the afternotes. I didn't realize or I had forgotten kind of what that experience did for Chamberlain. Right, he really comes out of that battle in particular as just a heroic figure. He went on to be one of the most highly decorated soldiers ever in the history of the United States Army, which I didn't I did not remember. Yeah, yeah. He he won the Congressional Medal of Honor. He was also, uh, you know, to Trisha's point about, and, and Rebecca's point about honor and the way you treat people, he was also put in charge of the honor guard of the surrendering uh, Army of Northern Virginia. And the orders that he gave to at Appomattox was, these were our enemy, and after this, they will be our brother. And so you will salute them when they walk by. You will treat them with respect. Um, and so you can see that. Interesting thing too, uh, leaders emerge on both sides. Uh, Joshua Chamberlain goes on to become governor of Maine and his opponent that day was uh, uh, John Oates um, and uh, Colonel Oates goes on to become the governor of Alabama. Wow, yeah, that, I didn't remember that. Um, yeah, so leadership perseveres. <laughs> yeah, and it, I think it's what's, what's great about the Gettysburg leadership experience and great about having these conversations is, is trying to make that connection, trying to make that through line through some of these leadership challenges, these organizational, there's, there's a lot of organizational lessons you can learn from Gettysburg, right? And, and that apply, I think, more broadly as well. And certainly communication, that's another element. Now, back in, the, in 1863, right, we, we're not, communication was write down a note, give it to a guy on a horse, pretty much, and have him race away with it. But it still was critically important. Rebecca, you hinted at this one time too, and this is maybe more of a style thing when we were just talking about Lee. I recall from the book too, they, they mentioned that once Lee sort of told folks what to do in general, he kind of sat back and let them sort of have a lot of freedom to, to sort of make operational decisions. I wonder if you could sort of comment on that balance, that leadership balance between, you know, we maybe would call it simplistically micromanagement, right? Versus kind of set a direction and step back because it, it didn't go perfectly well for Lee, his style that day. And I wonder if you could you know, or maybe some of the things the conference board does to help leaders kind of make, achieve that balance. You know, Steve, 
I think there's a lot to be said for empowerment and some of the most highly engaging, effective leaders, they've empowered their people to, to go forth. And once you understand the mission and you know you, you let people, and certainly in a battlefield situation, there has to be coordination, but we also know that a battlefield plan is only as good until the, the first skirmish. And then, okay, if we don't have a real clear grip on the mission, we're in trouble here. So I think where it came a little off the rails there is that people were empowered they were loyal, they were dedicated, they would have done anything, but they weren't clear on exactly what Lee, what his intent was. And that's where I think in this particular situation, you know, that, that's, uh, we, we see what happened. I think the other thing that's key here in the, in the uh, Gettysburg is that's the beauty of going on these experiential leadership development programs, right? It's one thing to read about it in a book, or to watch a really great, you know, Ken Burns series on Gettysburg or whatever it is that, that you're doing. It's another thing to stand there, to your point, Steve, at the bottom of Pickett's Charge and ask yourself, how could anyone muster enough courage to go up Pickett's Charge? And having walked it a few times, you see the slope of the land, you see Cemetery Ridge. Yeah, and the day we were there, just to interrupt for a second, the day we were there, Trish, 10 years ago, it was the summertime. It was scorching hot, mm. just like it was the in on july it was uh, in june so it was very close to the real time yeah yes. and, and, and so it's 95 degrees out that day as well and uh, yeah sorry yeah. i'm just that just i get so riled up about that yeah. just from but, no, but see steve don't apologize for that that's exactly what those experiences are supposed to do it's supposed to make that learning experience so visceral that it's internal that you never forget it yeah so if, if you think about that i mean those those men who went up pickett's charge thought surely this was going to tip the scales because the artillery barrage had stopped. Now, yeah. what they didn't know, of course, is they'd overshot the mark and, and all that. But mm -hmm. if you look at the slope of that land, you can't hear them firing. You think they're done. And it's, let's just close this up, boys, and go home. Okay? Right, right. And that's obviously not what happened. But there's nothing like uh, trying to make decisions without having all of the pertinent information you need. So communication, I would say, is one thing. And then also making sure that you have the critical facts because the assumption was they, they took the bait, the, the Confederate soldiers, they took the bait thinking that the, 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 they'd run out of artillery shells. And the, on that basis, they, they did the charge. Yeah. Not having all of the right information is critical uh, to making you know, this very drastic mistake. Yeah, yeah that's so true. Trish, let's take a quick pause. We, we have to thank, of course, our sponsors uh, for the Happy Hour Show who make this possible and have been so great to us this year. How about, Trish, I'll take the first one, if that's sure. okay with you. That I want works. to thank uh, WorkHuman. Uh, this episode of the HR Happy Hour is made possible by our friends at WorkHuman who have introduced their Mood Tracker product, which not only have we used at H3HR, I actually had a full-on demo of it recently. You know, with yeah. it, it's just fantastic. It's always free. It's always on. It's always easy. Mood Tracker is the voice of your employee solution built by data scientists to amplify people's voices, collect feedback, and gain insights to create a better modern workplace. It's not about surveys. It's about solutions. Best of all, it starts free and stays free forever. Eric Mosley told us on this podcast, Trish, this that product will be free forever. Learn more at workhuman.com slash mood tracker. Yeah, I do love Mood Tracker. We we do personally use that. And so that's really one of the criteria too, I think, when we work with a sponsor is to make sure it's something that we would actually use ourselves. Um, so our we our other sponsor we need to thank is um is our friends at Paychex, which is one of the leading providers of HR, 
payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. Paychex also hosts podcasts that our audience may find interesting. The Leadership Series, sorry, the HR Leadership Series provides insights around the latest trends in our profession, and it features a variety of expert guests and influencers, including the both of us. And that was a fun show. That's just been a couple months ago, but they've done so many great yeah. new episodes since then. So um, they're featuring conversations with business owners and paychecks as experts around the issues of the day, including the challenges businesses are facing during the current pandemic. And you can listen to and subscribe at paychecks.com slash podcasts or on your favorite podcast platform. So thank you to our friends at Paychecks. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. They are Great, great folks, and uh, uh, an unlikely place to take over the world of HR technology and payroll. Rochester, New York, my former hometown. That's right. They're they're doing a bang up job at it, though. I, I have to tell you too. I mean, it's uh, it's something that um, you know, I talk about products a lot, um, and, you know, on the podcast and just in our work. And I think that it's a combination of paychecks of having a really outstanding product and the development vision that they have that they're executing against. And then also the leadership team there is truly inspirational. I find inspiration from them uh, on a daily basis. So good people there. Great. Well, thanks to them. Okay. Thanks guys. Thank our our guests for patiently uh, hanging out with us while we uh, thanked our sponsors. Yeah. I don't like if if you let me sort of kind of control this Trish, all I'm going to do is just continue to talk about that hill and, and how we, why we shouldn't have run up it, but maybe instead well, of, the, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say what, what's, what was interesting to me when I was actually there and, and going through this experience was that I had a vision um, from learning in high school about the civil war of what that looked like. And in my mind, it was very flat that, that area that they were crossing. And I think when you see uh, drawings depicting it, it sometimes looks very flat. And I had even been to Gettysburg with my parents. They were very much about us learning about these things. So I think I was 13 and I went on some little audio tour, but it wasn't, you know, so I thought, oh, I've, I've seen this. No, going through leadership experience, number one, I felt like I was part of the Confederate army. I felt like I was right there. Uh, Colonel Kingseed was the person who happened to lead us that day through and you know, you mentioned it was very hot. It was probably in the nineties for sure. And as we walked across there, you're right. It was a hill. It was not flat. There were, and it also went kind of dips up and down as we were kind of crossing through that area. So it was shocking to me to think that they had gone down into like a, a gully of sort. And Dick, you correct me if I'm sort of describing it not the correct way, but in my mind, it's like we dipped down so that they would have come up and, and then been so, like suddenly visible. So they were like almost invisible and all of a sudden there they were. And I remember him saying um, that there was, if, if you would look to your right and your left, that there would have been blood spraying at that yeah. eye level height just continuously. And so to be standing there in the heat, you've climbed and marched and all the things we had done up to that point, um, that sticks with me too, just in, in trying to imagine what those men were really going through in the moment. And we've talked a little bit about uh, Little Round Top, for example, and even there, I remember crawling through the leaves and the twigs and the gravel on my stomach as we're like clawing our way. Like, so it's also a little bit of a reenactment when you do a leadership experience. This is not a, sitting in a classroom, right. watching a movie or reading a book right? That's, that's one thing, but this is actually getting 
dirt on your body and you're, you can't help but connect, I think. And by the time, I know by the time we left that particular location, I think everyone on our bus was crying. Yeah. Yeah. It was like 15 people in the, in the class at that time. I think we were just all bawling. We were so exhausted from all of the mental and physical and emotional things that we were all experiencing very individually, but also collectively as a group. And I, again, back to, I've never had any other experience like that. It's, it's so different. So, so, so I'm going to maybe pose this one to our guests. So hindsight now tells us that that was just an awful plan and, and, we, as we've talked about many times, going up that hill with all the cannons on the top of it. It was never it was never really going to work. But again, we know how it turned out, right? And so what can we take from this? Or what are some of the lessons that folks can take from saying, when is it time to think about uh, changing our strategy or, or kind of pushing back on a leader, in this case, Lee, who, you know, we were going to follow to the ends of the earth, but had a, had a very fail, flawed strategy. What can we take from that about in our own businesses about, hey, maybe it's time to rethink what we're doing. Go ahead, Rebecca. Sure, you know, so, so for any of us, you know, the whole purpose of doing these things, not only for your own enrichment and personal impact, but it's also what lessons can you take, you know, into your, your regular uh, world of today. And I, I think for any of us, we have to be really careful that just because we have a track record of success, for us not to begin to believe our own press releases or believe that we are indeed infallible. And that's a tough thing because for most organizations, they've been successful or individuals, you know, you look at senior leaders, they've been doing something right probably for quite some time. And so to get them to begin to think that, gee, maybe there's, you know, I hate to quote Marshall Goldsmith all the time, but you know, what got you here might not get you there. And so I think that's an important lesson because Lee, remember, came into this really on a roll. And in fact, he had some early successes in the first couple of days. So, you know, all the signs were, well, why wouldn't we, right? So, you know, in the absence of data to the contrary, you know, believing that the momentum must, of course, continue is, I think, a really dangerous place to be. And and maybe the, the trick is to spend more time thinking about whether or not you're making still the right choices than you might have in, in past times, because you it's easier for us to overlook a problem, an issue, especially when we're not as close to things, the more senior a leader you become. I would go back to two things that Rebecca has, has touched on. One is um, that you need people who take a different view than yourself, which gets into the whole diversity of uh, diversity of, of makeup of your team and then how you process that to ensure that you're getting a, a sort of 360 view of the problem versus just your own view. Um, the other thing that uh, Rebecca touched on is the whole idea of confirmation bias. Um, we'd look for data that supports our conclusion that we already have versus looking at things more objectively and listening to the other viewpoints in the room. Um, and that's where I think leaders can, can get in trouble. And that's exactly what happened to Lee. Um, Dick, one, one question for you, because um, I know you've gone through this so many times, but when I was thinking back to even how the entire thing started, um, back to uh, AP Hill, where he sort of went against Lee's instructions, which were not to engage the enemy, right? And he made that critical error um, on behalf of Lee. And we were told at the time, I recall, that Lee was, you know, very quick to sort of, um, you know, take that up with him, right? 
Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about that particular incident, maybe some more details around that, but then also how does that apply today? Because I'm thinking that even in a time of a pandemic, you might have sort of that leader who, who you're not sure what their intentions are. You might think you're doing the right thing, but how, how should a leader maybe best address that in today's environment as well when someone does go astray and it actually escalates far greater than what you anticipated? Yeah, and actually, we're, I think we're seeing it every day during this pandemic. Uh, decisions made at the federal level, the state level, the local level, the school district. And then you say, do these things make sense together? And no, they don't. And the, the issue is one of vertical alignment. And and how well it goes back to what Rebecca was saying, and that is what communication do you have about what is our intent here? What's the priorities that we all share? And it's a common vision. And, and if you look at AP Hill uh, and Lee in that example, you, they had different visions and different intents. Even though Lee had been pretty good at saying what his intent was, there wasn't the vertical alignment in, in the organization. So then you end up with conflicting orders um, and people almost working against each other instead of for each other. Um, so in my person, in my state right now, um, you know, the school district is making decisions that are different than this, than the county on the pandemic, and it's like. Um, could you guys just get in a room and talk and figure this out and come out in a couple hours with, with working, at least working together. Um, and that's where I think those leaders failed and, and it ended up bad for them. And I think that's where maybe some leaders today are making uh, some errors. I was just going to toss one more thing in there because I think uh, it's very tempting and, and certainly the focus is on the leadership teams of these two opposing forces. But I think there are also important characters a little further down the organization, if you will. I'm thinking particularly about um, Buford, and maybe that's why that's your, your personal favorite there, Dick. So I'm going to turn to you in a second. But, you know, someone who was uh, closer to the action, got there early, saw things, put things together, understood sort of what we're really dealing with here, and, and having a vision because of his experience and his ability to sort of connect the dots, but he was trusted. They listened, you know, when he came back. So I, I know, Dick, you're a big fan, um, but maybe you could, you could elaborate on that. Yeah, two, two things about Buford uh, to that point. One is that he had faced almost the exact same problem uh, it, it, about a year and a half earlier. And um, he had taken the same kind of action and his superiors had not supported him and he lost almost half of his troops. So when you look at he's faced with a similar situations now at, at Gettysburg, um, you know, he, it would be easy to say, I got burned the last time I did this. And so I'm going to take the safe right way out. And instead, I think he, he sought the aspirational self of leadership. And that is what should I do versus what has happened and hurt me before. And we all carry some baggage with us. And he was able to leave his baggage behind and say, what would the best officer do in this case? Um, and then he went ahead and, and executed on that. The other thing uh, is, going back to the communication issue, is that he didn't just do that and then say, okay, um, I've done my job. He actually sent riders out to his boss and his boss's boss to say, this is what I'm doing. Do you agree and support me or should we change plans? So there's a lot of vertical communication and courage, moral courage, I think, in what he did. 
Yeah, yeah I agree with you. I think too, it's, I still am a little bit in awe of how they were able to communicate as well as they did. I, I was looking back and um, Union uh, Army was at 94,000 at Gettysburg yeah. and the Confederate Army had 72,000 men. So when you think about, even if we had that same situation today, communicating with that many people um, and getting them with the right intent, with the right orders, with you know what should happen, and based on all the facts that they had in the moment, it, it was a big challenge. That would be a big challenge for any organization, if you can imagine leading a 100,000 uh, employee organization, right? Sort of the same things you might be facing. And, um, and so even though we have many technologies to support that, it's interesting to me that we still struggle with some of these communication issues. Um, for both of you, I know you you work with large organizations, small organizations, but are there any lessons that you can kind of take from, whether it's from you know General Meade or or General Lee, um, how they were dealing with such large numbers, or or maybe even an example today of of a modern organization with with large numbers of employees. What are some of the things that that you see that go really well in terms of communicating with with mass numbers of people in in a time where that might be difficult? Sure. Dick, do you want to start first with the Gettysburg sort of scenario, and then I'll, I'll offer a shot? Sure. Um, you know, I take a look at uh, General Meade, who did that very well. Um, and at the very beginning, uh, just before the battle started, um, he sent out a number of what were called circulars, uh, which is memos to the troops and so on. But he sent out a letter, uh, a, a series of circulars at each level including one circular that was to be read to all 90,000 troops. So he was trying to communicate at all levels of the organization to ensure that everyone understood him as a person. And also, this is what we're trying to do. And this is how I see our responsibilities or our duties, as he's described it in those circulars. So if you were a general, you got one letter that from him, and this said, this is what we need to do, and if you fail at that, then do this other thing. <laughs> if you're a soldier, he's basically appealing you to do your duty and to work together. Um, so he was able to communicate at all levels of the 90,000. Everyone got a letter from him, basically. You know, Dick, I think that's a, a really good point, because instead of trying to cascade and hoping that each leader gets the message just right and communicates it just exactly right, you know, here there's there's real clarity around that. There uh, there are some people who say, you know, Lee's battle plan was kind of complicated. And, you know, by the time you have to adjust on the fly in the middle of battle, it's like, okay, well, we're supposed to do this or that. And, and I think the same principle holds true today. I, I love the idea of clear idea that is simply articulated so that everyone can embrace it and everyone understands what it is. Because the more complicated it becomes, the more difficult it is to execute. So I think that clarity of vision and then the simplicity with which it is communicated is absolutely critical. And we see that now. And to your point, Trish, no matter how many tech tools we have, at the end of the day, it's how clearly can you articulate either something to execute or a vision or a plan of action all the way through the people who have to touch this. And nothing can compensate for that if you can't get that done right. Yeah, thank you for that, Dick. I had actually not recalled the circulars. So that's interesting because as you're telling that story about how he's communicating, you know, the specific message to the different levels, um, you know, within his army, I don't know that many leaders do that right now. 
I think, in fact, they don't. I think you hear it maybe from the CEO, and you're you're right to your point, Rebecca. You sort of expect or hope it will cascade down, and you know sometimes it does, and sometimes it's just a bad game of telephone, right? Yeah, yeah. But you know, you do see cases of where it's very successful, and and I don't mean to plug a particular company, but if you look at at the beginning of the pandemic, the CEO of Marriott put mm -hmm. out a video yes. that was circulated on the web. And what he originally intent of that video, and by the way, it just come out of cancer uh, treatment, um, it went out to all employees in Marriott, all the vendors of Marriott, and then it got pushed out to the whole world. I mean, it was one of the most popular YouTube uh, business videos out there. And he was trying to do a circular to all the troops. Great example. I think that's exactly right. I mean, there's probably no better recent example of authentic leadership than what that man did on a video. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think to your point about the circulars, think about another instance during the Civil War period when you know we, we talk about Juneteenth now, right? So that was something that was literally read to as many groups as they could find. That was the last one in Galveston, Texas. But it was to make sure that people understood. George Washington did much the same thing with, you know, with making sure that the, the Declaration of Independence, some people didn't know about it for quite some time. They couldn't get to everyone, but they read the thing. And so you, you get a sense of, um, you know, the consistency of the message and making sure that everybody's included in it. And I think we, as in organizations today, need to do just as good a job as some of these folks did in the past. Now, I could do this forever, but we probably shouldn't. Um, I do want to just make a couple of quick recommendations just for folks who are listening. Absolutely recommend the book, The Killer Angels uh, by Michael Shara. It's just a fantastic read. You don't have to be a, a, a you know, military history geek to appreciate it. I don't think at all, right? Because it, it, it's actually only half about military tactics and strategies and maybe not even half. It, it's much more about leadership and, and, and the character and, and things like that that we've been talking about on the show. So I absolutely recommend that. The movie's pretty good too. I think the Gettysburg movie was actually pretty well done uh, as well. So I'll throw it to, to Dick and to Rebecca to kind of, your kind of closing thoughts maybe about just what we, what, we, what we have taken, maybe what you've taken personally from developing slash participating in the Gettysburg experience. I'd love to hear both of your just personal points of view on, on what you've taken from it. I'll go, go ahead, Dick, you can start. Um, and that is, uh... You know, I I did a session and I asked, uh, to Trisha's point earlier, at the fi final dinner, we asked everyone, you know, what leader sort of touched you in the heart and why? Um, and people sort of went around the room and it, it was really interesting uh, to hear who had touched, who was touched by which story about which leaders. Um, but what I think what happens, and I saw it happen in that room and it happens to me personally, and that is sometimes I'll find myself in a situation, and I think of leaders past, leaders I've had, or leaders at Gettysburg or in other things, places in history, and I think I need to channel that person. Mm -hmm. So there's when I need to channel John Buford, okay? And there's times when I need to step back and listen to other people like Mead. And I actually sort of picture them in my, in my head, and I see myself as, of trying to live up to the standards that they had. Other times I look at the situations and I say, oh, I'm not gonna make the mistake that guy did, like a, a, a Sickles. Um, and so I think there's this channeling and this reflection that helps us um, behave and make. Rebecca, how about you? What, 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 what's kind of your just personal feelings about this whole experience? Yeah, you know, I, I think Dick's comment's brilliant. I mean, if, if 
if you are a leader yourself or a student of leadership or in a position to help develop leaders of your organization, you know, you study these things. And you shouldn't have to create every wrong decision or every big mistake that a leader in history did. You know, if you can, if you can experience something like this or be a self-directed learner and learn all this stuff, you know, it helps you, I think, think about the choice points that you make. Because as, as you go through your leadership career, those have bigger and bigger ramifications for your organization and for the people you care about. Yeah. And so I, I think that's what the beauty is here is it makes you reflective. And honestly, there are times when you think I could be a better leader and I could do this or I could do that. And that's very powerful. I'm just so grateful that I had the opportunity to experience so many of these things and appreciate the work that Dick, you and the team do. And, and thank you, Trish and Steve, for, for having us back on to talk about a subject we it's, could both talk about. For oh, three. yeah. Forget it. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to go back. I want to go back. I know somebody who can arrange it for you. I'm going to make that happen. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> I go on my own. I might just drive. Just saying. I'll punch your ticket. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You know, yeah. Thank you both for sharing this. Again, it's not every day that someone goes through some sort of an experience like this and can recall it 10 years later yeah. with such passion, right? If that's not a testament to what the conference board yeah. and this is completely authentic. Have have yeah, and this is we're, we're honored. It's it's great for us to get to discuss it and and just to sort of relive in our minds. I know how how these things went, and not to diminish. I'm sure the others are phenomenal too. Like I mentioned, the Apollo experience also equally. Uh, oh my gosh, you know you're taken through ups and downs of emotion, and and you relate to different leaders and how they made those decisions. And again, it's I love that you take things that we sort of all know about a little bit. And you really just deep dive to where we feel such a personal connection that I don't know. I feel like I would, I feel like if it did the others, I'd cry yeah. by the end because I have it the first two. <laughs> so, and I'm not even a, a person that cries very easily. So yeah, it, it sort of uh, worms its way into your brain and then also into your emotions. So yeah, I think great, great stuff. Uh, well, let's thank our guests, Dick Richardson and Rebecca Ray. Dick, you first. Thanks again for being a part of the show and for everything you've, you've done. And you've really impacted both of us in a really meaningful way. Maybe how do people find you and, and maybe get connected to some of these experiences? Where should we direct uh, our listeners? Uh, experiencetolead.com is our website. And then also through the conference board, obviously, because they're our great partner on all of yes, this. Absolutely. Great. Dick, thanks so much. Great to see you. Rebecca, uh, conferenceboard.org. Do I have that right? Is it .org or .com? Uh, it's, uh, yes, it's conference-board.org. Ah. And, um, you know, for these experiences, I can't recommend them any more highly than I do. It's just incredible leadership and courage that I'm not sure I would have the ability to muster, but they are that certainly was, impactful. That's one of my programs. takeaways from going back through it again and rereading the book. It's like, oh my God, why should I complain about every, anything? You know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> truly, truly. And, you know, so I just want to thank you again for the opportunity and, you know, for all of our valued members and the extended human capital uh, profession, if there are ways in which we can be of service or assets that we have at the conference board, many of which are in the public domain, we're, we're hopeful that they're helpful. And I would encourage you to, to take a look or also reach out to me personally if I can be of service. Great. Thank Thanks you. so much, Rebecca. Thank all right, you. Trish. I'm, I'm worn out from this show because I'm so into it. I hope that. I know. I tell you what, I was just thinking though, if if we ever did go back, I think I don't know that we'd make it. I don't know that we'd make it through the. <laughs> well, we're all we're older. I say cl crawling up that hill is not going to be as easy. I was say crawling and climbing and heat and bugs and 
Yeah, I think we're pretty pampered, so I don't know. <laughs> we never leave the soldier behind, so you'll make it. <laughs> That's true. That's a good one. Just All right. try, try to go in the fall. I yeah, can tell you it's easier. Yeah. Um, okay, I think we'll wrap with this. Again, thank you so much to Dick and Rebecca, and thanks to Work Human and Paychecks for all their support. And uh, we'll put all the links we mentioned in the show notes. Highest recommendation from Trish and myself on these, le on these leadership experiences, particularly the Gettysburg one. And okay, we'll probably, I'll probably need to stop talking about this for a while. So I've talked about it so much over the years, but uh, thanks again, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to the HR Happy Hour show. Uh, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We will see you next time and bye for now. <laughs>